Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me on another sunny day in an empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Roger Philby, founder of The Chemistry Group, a London-based management consultancy. Roger, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program uh, today. Uh, of course, we uh, meet under odd circumstances. Uh, normally, uh, we charge straight into the subject of leadership, but considering everything at the moment, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you how COVID-19 has affected your business. Um, so, interestingly, sort of positives and negatives in all of these things from a leadership perspective, I think. Um, obviously, we've seen you know, organizations, clients, um, sort of goes sort of heads down, tails up for a while. So everything sort of paused initially, and obviously really fast as well. Um, everything paused, but actually in the last two weeks, we're starting to see the clients reemerge, start thinking about what it means to their employees as they potentially go back to work, whatever that is moving forward. So I sort of anticipated a 50% drop in our revenues. Um, I think that's going to end up being pessimistic, um, but having gone through two recessions now, um, I've learned that pessimism right up front and, and making some hard decisions quickly always puts you in good stead for what happens next. So so feeling a bit more confident over the last two weeks, um, uh, the the reassuring thing has been the response from the employees, um, and uh, and that's been fantastic and actually quite unifying because everyone's in the same boat I think that's quite different mm. to um, if we were suffering and no one else was um, then I think you know I'd be dealing with a different set of leadership issues but there is some um, some benefit not that I would want anyone to suffer but there is some benefit in everyone going through the same struggle definitely well there is something to be said for that absolutely uh, a shared struggle uh, helps uh, almost uh, make more cohesion within within corporations and uh, societies. So it'd be interesting to see what happens at the other end of this. Um, what about yeah. the actual physical um, changes that had to happen during this uh, period? How easy was that for you uh, and the company to adjust to? Relatively easy. I would say that proportionally wise, I have quite a young workforce of quite tech savvy. So we already had a kind of look, um, work from wherever you like, as long as you're getting work done. Um, attitude into the business anyway. So our IT infrastructure was set up for remote working. We are predominantly in the cloud with all of our applications. I can't think of anything that we don't have in the cloud. Um, so we were quite adept. We're a highly collaborative workforce, so we, we were quite used to collaborating. The speed of it was the shock, I think. Um, you know, we were tooled up for remote working. Um, the speed which we had to do it was quite shocking. And then I think... Um, you know, initially it's changed and it's quite exciting and, and people are kind of motivated. Um, uh, but we poll survey our workforce every week. Um, we have a buddy, we put in a buddy system quite quickly so we could, we could get a feel quite quickly for people's ebbs and flows. And that's how I would describe it, I think, for the people, uh, as all of us. I think there are dip highs and, and lows to working from home. And, and the research and the science, and I've, when we've blogged about it, says that a hybrid is a much better way. Um, you know, constant remote working is 
initially productive and then actually show signs of getting less so the more that people do it. They're the same for office working. And the truth is the flexibility to do both is probably the most productive way, which is what we're looking at as we go back. But in truth, it's quite easy for us because we were used to working in a hybrid way already and we were set up for it from a talks perspective. Now, we we should move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, I've always thought of a leader as someone who um, is setting a clear vision for people, so setting a destination um, for people, um, uh, and then sort of laying out the path to that destination. I don't think it's more complicated than where are we heading um, and, and how might, might we get there. Um, and I've always seen my role as setting out A, the vision and B, the culture that's going to support getting there. So I, I've always thought leadership is about setting out the destination and, and, and helping people um, get there. I don't think it's more complicated than that. And how do you get your people there? How do you set out that culture? I think a culture is what you do. um, And therefore, I've always thought a culture is just a set of behaviors that are acceptable within an organization and a set of behaviors that probably aren't acceptable. Um, And we do that through our values. So we've set a clear purpose. Our purpose is to create opportunities for everyone to be brilliant at work. Um, and that purpose then is the reason why people come to work for us. Um, uh, so that's why people come. And then, and then we set out three clear values, um, which are passionate, brave, and human, which are the set of sort of, I don't know, guides, um, that inform the decision making and the how. So if, if the, if the mission purpose is why we're doing it, the how then becomes, um, the set of values. Um, and, and therefore, my job as a leader really is to make sure that those values and the behaviours that align to those values, um, I'm doing um, such that it's reinforced. And sometimes I'm awesome at that, and sometimes, frankly, I'm lousy at it. Um, but I remain, you know, hopefully I'm more consistent than I am inconsistent. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's my job. What's the direction of travel? Why are we doing it? And then, and then how? Do we get there, which is stipulated in our in our values, and and actually I've gone back to our values in the COVID situation where we're remote. I've I've actually gone back to our values, and I'm talking about them almost on a daily basis um, because I'm not we're not visible. Um, so reinforcing reinforcing um, them through my communication is really important. Now. Um... Um, Leadership doesn't develop in a bubble, of course. It comes from somewhere. Let's go back to the beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Did you have any particular uh, influences, whether they be role models or circumstances that shaped you as you are today? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. I think, um, you know, you get informed by your early experiences. And I think um, there's probably been a couple. I think the first thing was my sort of, first job at school and then I had jobs throughout um, university. Um, 
I wasn't particularly academic, but what I found was I loved to work. Um, so um, I found I found that I wasn't overly motivated until I started working, and then I realised that actually this is what I love doing. Um, and then the other thing was the type of work. So I loved retail, I loved hospitality, and so what I quickly worked out was I liked the service profession. Um, so serving others kind of like that um, and um, and and therefore you know I got quite good at it and because you get quite good at something um, you find the passion for it um, and so that was the first thing I noticed was I loved work the, the practice of work uh, and the work I loved doing was always in the service whether that's in retail or mm-hmm. hospitality and I think leading is just being in the service of others so sort of leadership is the pinnacle of what I love doing, which is I love working, full stop. Um, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I like doing that work in service of others. And I think leadership is the, not, maybe not the ultimate role, um, but, um, but it is a role where your job is to serve others and, and not yourself. So I think that was the first thing. And then the second thing in my first sort of proper job um, outside of the university, I worked for a company, a recruitment business called Michael Page. And I ended up working for the now group CEO, actually, Bingham, who was a manager and then director at the time. And he ended up being my mentor. Um, and I learned so much from him about how not to run a business. So that's quite clear. And I've always said that. Um, but I learned so much about how to run a service business and how to service clients and so, and also how to lead. Um, and he was quite a distinctive leader and had a very distinctive style, some of which I think I've mimicked and copied, um, some of which I've, I'm determined not to. Um, but I think that's always the role of a, a mentor, take the good bits. Um, and there was some stuff he was totally phenomenal at, um, which was about focus. So the thing I, uh, I, I learned from him was, um, Know, understand what your business does, understand the value it creates for your clients, don't get distracted and focus. And I think I've not been as good as that as I should be, but uh, it's something that I learned from him quite early on is that, you know, what people want is consistency and what a business needs is focus. And, and as a leader, you need to provide those two things. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the chemistry group? Um, growth, I think. So, you know, we're looking at the next 12 months. We had a really, we, we took funding from BGF, British Growth Fund, which is an amazing institution in December. And of course, our plans have dramatically changed because of COVID-19. So this year, you know, our, our, our budget and our plans have changed dramatically. But, um, so this year it will be about getting ourselves in fighting fit shape, um, which probably won't see growth on last year just because of the situation. But um, we do and absolutely do forecast getting back to our growth plans as of January 2021. So this year, I think, is about adjustment, getting the team fit, focus on the employees, because I think this is a humanitarian crisis that's led to an economic crisis. So as leaders, we need to focus on the humans in our business. So we'll be doing that for the next six months, six to nine months, focusing on our clients and their humans, and then, um, and then growing next year. I, I, you know, as with all of these things, I'm quite excited by the challenge it presents. I think it's a social experiment and 
you know, without, it's a terrible thing, but so without wanting to rub too much of a glow on it, the ultimate leadership experiment. So I think as a leader, I'm going to grow from it. Um, so, you know, I'm quite excited by that challenge. Well, it's absolutely fantastic having you on the program today. And I do hope that you can come back on the show when things get back to some semblance of normalcy. Oh, thank, we'll um, no, thank you. Roger, thanks. Uh, that was Roger Philby, founder of The Chemistry Group. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was 
In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that, that's that's for me. 
in terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage, I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i I think and i don't uh, not for me not for a second i think Mm. i was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' 
So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, in most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a... a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? 
Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. 
there was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.